you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Turn your eyes to the screen for the reading from Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Good morning again, Sion Hill, Brisbane. I think that has such an Illuminati vibe. Uh, it's such a weird trailer, but I love it. It's good. It's God's Word, so thanks be to God. Um, again, a massive good morning and a massive thank you for having me here. Uh, this is actually the first time I've had the opportunity to come and preach at another city on a hill, so it's awesome to come up here and see how you do it. I feel really, like, unfamiliar but familiar, like the, the people are the same, but the area is different. You guys are so fancy here. It's like an aircon cinema, just for some context of what East looks like. We're in this basketball court, we set up these plastic chairs, uh, and it's, you know, just not a cinema. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to be with you here. And a special thank you to Mike, uh, I know he's having a bit of rest this week, um, but yeah, it's, it's a real joy for me to come and and uh, see and experience other churches. It's a, it's a real blessing for my soul. So thank you for being an encouragement for my soul. Thank you for Brisbane for being an encouragement to my vitamin D uh, input because Melbourne has been like a top of 15 this week. Um, like our, my, our fireplace is still in use, so it's just been brutal. So it's awesome to be up here. I also just wanted to say that Sydney Hill East is also praying a lot for Sydney Hill Brisbane. Uh, it's, we're just so with you, we're for you, we're excited to see uh, what is happening in the life of your church. Uh, we love you guys a lot, and so, yeah, thanks for having me up. We're about to get stuck into that passage, particularly verse 16, so before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Son. We thank you so much that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among creation. But Lord, today we praise you that He's the Creator. As we come to your Word, may you illuminate our hearts, uh, may you illuminate our minds, may you uh, give us deep understanding for, uh, for who Jesus is and what He's about. Lord, as I preach today, may I be made small and may you be made big and may you teach us deep things of you. Amen. Well, something cool happened to me yesterday on the flight up here. I 
I went to the airport and I checked in and I saw a number and a letter together that I never ever dreamed of seeing, right? I got to the airport, signed in, and there was one A. Seat one, row A, or row one, seat A. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I'm assuming you're holding your applause for the end because like that, that for a guy like me, that's a huge deal. Like for a, for a six foot two person, having that much leg room is uh, just unheard of. It felt like I'd won tickets for the grand final or something. Seat one A, I couldn't believe it. And I had to check the box, which was, you know, are you okay about helping in the, in the time of an emergency? And I thought, yeah, all right, I think I'm up for this. And so I hit that, hit that box. But then when I got on the plane, the stewardess came up to me and we had the real talk about what was going to be involved whether, uh, when the plane went down. And so, in summary, what I heard was she said, Patrick, if we go down, you're the man. You're going to have to pull off that door. You're going to have to save every soul on this plane. We all need you. Are you up for it? And I was like, yes, I think I am. Uh, of course, I asked, um, like, do you give me the cape now, or do you get that when it's like, when it's happening? And she said, don't worry, we'll give that to you when it's happening, and then obviously, Australian of the Year will follow, and I thought, okay, great, this is good. So I settled into my, my seat. I had all the leg room in the world. I was, like, stretched out. I had everybody's, you know, the weight of this whole plane on my shoulders, and I thought, this is it. This is going to be the best plane flight ever, because I am in control. This will be good. And what happened? I passed out like instantly. I woke up on our descent and I felt like I had failed the whole plane even though nothing had happened. Because it turns out that I am not the kind of hero that that plane should put their hope, their trust, their faith in, am I? And to be honest, if anything was to ever go wrong on a plane, I'd be the last person you'd want next to you. I'd be a part of the mess, so I'm probably not ticking that box uh, with good conscience. But today in Colossians, uh, we have Paul encouraging the church in Colossae not to have their faith, not to have their hope, not to have their love and their trust in the likes of people like me, in the likes of people like themselves, or false gods or false teaching, rather to have their faith, their hope, their love, their trust in Jesus. You see, Jesus is the hero that actually has the power to do what they need him to do. He is actually the one that won't fall asleep when he's on duty. Just for some context for the Colossians, uh, they're being knocked to and fro by a whole bunch of different teachings constantly. They have a whole bunch of people telling them to either add things to their Christian faith or challenging their Christian faith altogether. There are teachers at the time who are saying, hey, yeah, great, you've got the Jesus stuff, that's all good. But come and hear where the real magic is at. Come and hear where the real spirituality is at. Come and hear where the real maturity is at. Come and find that true life with us. See, if you want to feel a sense of control over your life and your destiny, then sure, make Jesus, take that Jesus, but make sure you're, you add your own cocktail of convictions, maybe a bit of religious ritual, maybe some worship of angels, maybe you can attest, uh, attend this festival or fast at this specific time. You see, in the day of the Colossians, in some ways, it wasn't too dissimilar to the day of our own. All of us are looking for this sense of control. You see, it's not a religious thing, it's a human thing. In our own lives, we look for things to assure us of control, don't we? 
we have that growing superannuation, sizable bank account that's going to tell us that we're okay financially. We have this growing and heavily interacted with social media account that tells us that we're going to be okay socially. We like to have a couple of relationships going, some, some romantic flames that tell us that we're going to be okay relationally. In the ancient world, they had magic, superstition, mindfulness, rituals to tell them it's okay. But today, in these days, we are no different whatsoever. Whether it's money, whether it's relationships, whether it's reputation, we grasp at these things because they give us a sense of security in a, lot, in a world that can feel just so insecure. And so this whole section that we're looking at in these verses over the next coming weeks comes from us, comes to us for the same reason that it came to the original hearers. Paul wants them, Paul wants us to know who is really in control. He wants us to know of a Jesus who is truly sovereign. So please have your Bibles open as we look at one of the most amazing passages in Scripture as we read uh, from verse 16. Let's read just the start of it. For by Him all things were created. For by Him all things were created. See, last week we read about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, and here in our passage today, Paul is saying something further about the identity of Jesus Christ. See, he's saying that Jesus wasn't there merely at creation, but He was there at the start of creation. He was responsible for creations, for, for creation. See, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. This is God's revelation to us. The Bible is good for human flourishing, and everything that you need to be human can be found in these passages. Now, it doesn't teach you how to drive. It doesn't teach you how to ride a bike. It doesn't teach you what music to listen to. But what it does teach you and give you is moral, ethical, theological frameworks in how to do those things, how to live life. So every single verse in the Bible matters absolutely. If we went through and chopped out the ones that we think thought didn't matter or the ones that we thought made us a bit uncomfortable, then we would have a Bible that just merely flaps in the wind that is so empty because every single one of us is going to have a problem with at least one verse in the Bible as it convicts us. And this is why at City on a Hill, we like to preach through whole books of the Bible on a regular basis. This is really important to what we do. And why? It makes, means sure we don't uh, skip over the hard bits or stick to our hobby horses that we love. So one thing I like to ask when I'm reading the Bible is, what would matter if this verse wasn't here? What would it change if I took this verse out of the Bible? And it's a really important question because you may have noticed during the Left and Right series that many moral and theological principles that we hold to stem from Genesis 1.27 that states that human beings are made in the image of God. If you take that away, you lose so much of the value of human life, don't you? Yet you can definitely uh, see that God values human life in other parts of the Bible, but the argument is so much stronger if you have Genesis 1.27 there. Likewise, if you take away this verse, what do you lose? What do you lose? You lose a huge brick in the foundation that Jesus is fully God, without question, the Creator God. See, this passage tells us explicitly that Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. He was not created he was the Creator. Jesus is ex nihilo, not created from or out of nothing. And Scripture 
speaks in harmony to the Creator, Jesus. See, there are some groups out there that claim a Christian lineage, but they've divorced themselves from this truth. And they see Jesus as a created being, not the Creator being. And that radically, radically affects how we will respond to the person and the work of Jesus, doesn't it? See, Paul here is saying that all things, by him all things were created. And this is highlighting that, Genesis, uh, that Jesus was there at Genesis 1.1. Let's have a look at that verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was, was, was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And John 1 echoes what Genesis says and expands on it a bit when it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything anything made that was made. See, both Genesis and John tell us about the creation of the universe, and Colossians tells us that the second member of the Trinity, the Son, was there. Now, we don't know the exact inner workings of the Trinity. In some sense, everything God does is done together by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Bible tells us that there are some specific roles that each is involved in. When we read here that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is the agent of creation. He made the plans of God happen. Now, at risk of slipping into a bit of modalism, he was the CEO on the board who took the directions of the board to execute creation. See, the Father was the source, but the Son, Jesus, was the actor who made the building project happen. See, this is a massive claim for Paul to make, but it's it's fundamental to us understanding the Christian faith. It is absolutely pivotal. And to be honest, it's one of the hardest things that I had to grapple with when I, was a becoming, when I was becoming a Christian. I had to understand that Jesus was fully human as well as being fully God. And a big moment for me when I was grappling whether I could accept Jesus or not is I said, I just don't believe that he really did all that. I don't believe a man can do all that. It just seems unbelievable. But I was then challenged to have a bit of intellectual honesty honesty and say, can I defend what I actually believe, that it kind of all existed for nothing and it was just an accident? And I really couldn't answer honestly. And often when I'm talking to people and they find out I'm a pastor, it takes about 20 seconds and then they shift uncomfortably and then they say something like this every single time, mate, great job, that's good for you, Uh, caring about people who need it. Uh, I'm not religious, and then that's the end of their sentence. That's what they love to say to me. And I've learned that that sentence means, mate, please don't talk to me about this stuff. I'm okay. I've made up my mind. P.S. Honey, get me out of here. Like, I do not want to be having this conversation. But if I'm up for it and I feel like being a bit antagonistic, I, I find that I ask people this question. I say, yep, you don't call yourself religious, but you absolutely have a faith in something, don't you? We have to. We all have a faith in something. We all have a faith. We all have a hope, a trust in something. And it's usually made up of our experience and our education, the evidence that we have in front of us. 
For example, I have absolutely no way of proving emphatically that I'm going to be in Melbourne tonight. I have the, the ticket booked. I know the aeroplane company. I have my flight time. But that's all I have. This is an example probably of like false hope. I, know, I actually don't know if I'm going to make it to Melbourne tonight, uh, the way the airlines go. So I might actually be looking for a couch to crash tonight if it goes badly or if it goes the way that I think it will go. But likewise, my son has faith in me. He has faith that when he calls out at night, Dad, that I'm going to show up. Why does he have that faith? Because I've done it time and time again. See, we all go about our lives with faith in something. We, our, our faith is formed by the experiences and knowledge that we have. So one needs to ask oneself right now. You need to ask yourself this question. Are you, conf- are you comfortable with the knowledge of how you and the world around you came to be? Are you comfortable with what all this is for? Can you defend it? Can you understand it? Can you have joy in it? You see, for me, when I was a non-Christian, I came to the conclusion that, honestly, I can't defend the notion that this is all for nothing and then be okay with that. I just couldn't do it. All the evidence that I could see in Scripture and the world around me pointed clearly to one thing, that all the evidence suggested that Jesus was responsible for creation. And the truth that Jesus is the creator and the purpose of creation doesn't just allow us to have joy in our life, but allows us to live radically different lives, doesn't it? So let's explore that a bit more as we look at what this is all made for, as we look at through Him and for Him. I'm going to read the whole verse again. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So we're given the facts that Jesus created all things. But now we're given the why. All things were created through him and for him. See, this is another fundamental of the Christian faith, that the for, the purpose behind creation is Jesus. He created all things and all things are for him. You see, God didn't make humankind because he was lonely. Rather, he made creation an outpouring of love. The creation exists, it all points back to the glorious creator. This is the God who our faith and our hope is in. Take, for example, a work painted by a great artist. That artwork belongs to that artist. She has full rights and ownership over that piece of art right up until the moment that she sells it, gives it away, or gives it to a family member. But until then, it is all hers. She can do what she wants with it. But you see, Jesus has never done anything with his masterpiece like give it away. He would never do that. He owns it. So everything belongs to him in it. And Paul says in this passage that this includes the cosmic and the microscopic, the things we can't see and the things we can see, the physical and the spiritual, the biological, the geological, the human and the demonic. He rules over it all. Every single part of it is under his dominion. He has control over the world that the Colossians are in, the entire Roman Empire, every government in their history, and the government that sits in our country right now. He has control over every nation around the world right now. The governments that sit now, the governments that will sit tomorrow, the governments that have sat in the past, 
He controls it all. He controls the entire cosmos, the stars, the moons, the planets, the galaxies. All that we can see belong and point to the glory of Jesus. And no, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, I pray that parts of creation still astound you. See, I was listening to a podcast the other month, and they were talking about the deep space photos from the James Webb Telescope that have just come out. I hope you've seen them because they're so cool. I imagine uh, if we get one of them up on the screen, it's going to look excellent. I just find these photos absolutely mind-blowing. That's, that's not the James Webb Telescope photo. <laughs> that is a different one. There it is. That is the James Webb Telescope photo. So I read that each one of these peaks that we see here that look like waves are seven, they say they're seven light years high. Now, when I read that, I said, cool. I have no idea what seven light years is. So I looked it up. I did some bro science. I did some Googling. And here it is. Are you ready for this? Seven light years is 66.2 trillion kilometers high. Each one of those peaks is 66.2 trillion kilometers high. And I was listening to these guys chat about these pictures, and I was really surprised by their reaction, because they said, I've never felt more insignificant. I've never felt more that nothing I do matters. When I look at these photos, I just feel like everything I do to sustain and create the world is for naught. How can anything we do be a significance when that is out there. And I couldn't disagree with them more. See, these photos lead me to absolute worship. Because Psalm 8 says, What is man that you are mindful of him? It is astonishing that the God who is great enough to have made the heavens can take notice of a mere man like us. But he goes on. He does more than take notice. He is mindful of us. He cares for us. See, God's greatness does not mean remoteness. It means an eye for detail, no matter how small. And you are one of those details. You see, these photos of deep space ruined people's days, but they should absolutely increase our faith. See, does creation of the world fill you with wonder, or does it fill you with dread? Have you stopped to think about how amazing the Creator Jesus is? Do you know what this is all for? This passage helps us to understand that this is all for Jesus. And this truth allows us to understand that there is a purpose for absolutely everything, a purpose for this world, a purpose for your life, for your life, and that is for the sake of Jesus, because you're a part of creation and everything exists for His sake. So everything you do is meaningful. Because God created you for Jesus, and in His mercy, He has given us a choice whether we live in such a way that makes Him look good, or whether we go around the universe ignoring the fact that He's created it and live for our own. This is a merciful choice for us this week, isn't it? To go about doing good, or to ignore the Creator. Church, I encourage you to think on the majesty of Jesus this week, that Jesus who made the peaks in this beautiful photo, cares for you, is mindful of you, and is deeply in love with you. So let's turn to our last point about sovereign control, because really that is what this passage is all about, sovereign control. See, what do we, what do, we do with this? 
What is Paul calling the Colossians to do with this? See, he is calling them to get back to the fundamentals of Christian faith, to stop worshipping the false things that they're doing and understand the implications of the sovereign control of Jesus. See, throughout the book of Colossians, Paul is encouraging the Colossians and us that Christianity isn't this series of rules and rituals to follow. Here, he is encouraging them to have an active relationship with the creator of the universe who cares for them, who cares for you, who cares for us so much that he will give himself up for us. So the application is this, what does this do for your faith? What does this do for your prayer life? Church, if your experience of prayer is a measly grace before you eat, then you are missing out on a relationship with the creator of the universe. One of my favorite Psalms that we had read, 121, it says this, let's read it again. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is his shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You see, I can rest in this psalm because of this verse in Colossians. Because when we cry out to God, this is the God who we speak to. When we cry out to Jesus, this is the Jesus who we cry out to. See, this psalm shows us that the maker of the cosmos is focused on you right now. Right now. That when you speak to him, you're not disturbing him. You don't have to wake him up. In fact, he just delights in you. This is the reality of our faith. This is, and this reality allows us to live incredibly different and radical lives. It allows us to have a radically different response to our suffering, doesn't it? I thought I might just share a real-world experience of what this looks like or has looked like in my, faith, in my life as it, this can all can seem, can seem quite theological and quite other. Now, I've been married for 10 years in Feb, go me, uh, and um, as I mentioned before, a beautiful lady named Carly, and in 2018, we decided that was the time when we were going to think about uh, and try to make some new little Donahoes, so we set about the fun task of what that was, it was a great time, and by God's grace, uh, we fell pregnant quite soon with our, our first little baby boy, Jasper. And we went through all the highs and the lows of telling family, telling our church. Uh, we got all the apps, we tracked everything, we followed the right diet. Uh, it was a really fun time. But then at about the 20-week scan, we got some massive news that really shook us. That he was developing with only half his heart. He had this really rare condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. I hope none of you have ever heard about it. It's just rare. And this meant he was totally fine in utero. He was fully there. He could, he could breathe. He was fine. But as soon as he was born, he was going to have trouble breathing oxygen because to do that, you need your left ventricle. And it just wasn't there. So for the second half of the pregnancy, we readied ourselves for what life was going to look like without, with, when he was born. He was going to have to have a surgery like 24 hours after he was born. 
He was going to have another one when he was three months old, and then another one when he was 12 months old. We were readying for a life of uh, potential huge complications. And he was born, graciously, on the 4th of March. And we all moved into the Children's Hospital, which is one of the most amazing places on earth. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it's awesome. It's like a bomb has gone off. Everyone in that, in that building is suffering immensely. There is so much massive questioning going on. Everybody looks shell-shocked, except for the kids. They're just kids. And what struck me more than anything was in that place where it's where your worldview comes home to rest. It's where your theological truths come home to roost. What you believe matters in that building. You see, the people who, who hadn't thought of it, they, they come up to you and they say, mate, she'll be right. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be okay. You see, those, those Australian idioms, those, those like placardy little niceties, they're not going to fly in that building. They don't do anything for anyone in there. They're just merely insulting. You see, when you're in the depths of your suffering, like Steve shared, when your son is being separated from you on a bus on a border, when you're trying to overcome an addiction, when you're having a marriage breakdown, when you're having a relationship breakdown, when you're having a hard time at work, your theology comes home to roost. In the midst of our suffering, our theology matters. What we think of Jesus matters. Our little man ended up passing away from his condition and he's now longer with us here on earth, our little Jasper. But what does this passage, considering the gospel, tell me? What does it tell my wife? What does it tell you in your suffering? See, it tells us what it told the Colossians, that Jesus is sovereign and in control. You see, the gospel says that God made the whole world and everything in it, but we ruined that creation with our selfishness and with our greed because we wanted that sovereign control. See, the gospel tells us that every human being on earth has fallen short of God's ways. And rather than destroying everything like that, in his kindness, in his love, in his mercy, in his patience, he offered an opportunity for reconciliation. The gospel tells us that he sent himself to die in our place, that he lived the life that we couldn't live, that he died the death that we absolutely should have died so we can have reconciliation to the full, that the divide between God and man would be over forever. That's what the gospel tells us. And we wait patiently for the day that there will be no more sickness, that there will be no more pain, that there will be no more suffering. That's the gospel. And at the center of that gospel is the hero, Jesus. So do I question his power? Do I question his might? How could I? Look at the universe that he's made. It all speaks to his power. But do I question his goodness? Can I trust this hero? Church, look to the cross. It speaks of his faithfulness. So yes, I can absolutely trust this hero with my soul. See, church, this isn't a theory to know about. But this is the way that you get through this broken world. 
For me, knowing that Jesus is sovereign over creation and sustaining it is the only way I can get out of bed in the morning. So simple gospel faith is a trust that Jesus is in control, that his promises are more weighty than the shouts of the world or the whispers of your insecurities. We can know that whatever we are going through right now, it is all going to end with King Jesus. See, Jesus is bigger than we can ever fully grasp. He is more beautiful than you can ever imagine. So please, no matter what you're going through right now, keep trusting Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep enlarging your heart to take a hold of a big Jesus. Keep tr- trusting in the Creator, who, Jesus, who is, soft, who, sorry, who is sovereign. Because the alternatives, church, they are absolutely nothing. Let me pray. Our good and gracious Father, we praise you and thank you for the Creator, Jesus. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the implications that Jesus has over our lives. Lord, when we look at the majesty of creation, we are so blown away, we are so humbled by its expanse, by its complexities, but by the fact that you care for us in the midst of it. Lord, when we look at these two positions that you are the creator, but also this is all for you, Father, please continue to help us grasp these incredibly complex realities. Lord, I pray that we as a church might know these truths deeply today, that we may know these truths deeply this week, that as we are in the midst of whatever suffering we're going through, whatever suffering we will go through, that we might hold fast to these truths that is not for nothing. And that when we go to you, you actually have the power to change things. Lord, please help us to love you. Please help us to serve you. Please help us to care about your wonders. Lord, please restore our hearts anew this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.